0: Well good morning everybody. So good to see you guys. Um, If this is your first time here at Hill City my name is John Wagler and I'm part of this team and just grateful uh, you're spending a portion of your uh, Sunday here. Uh, We are in the midst of the series called the the Voice of the Heart where we're taking a look at essentially emotional health and our our core emotions and, and how truly that is the Our ability to be emotionally healthy actually directly relates to our spiritual health, to our ability to appreciate the reality of this message of Jesus and what it means to the deep and, you know, the the core of our being. And uh, so we're spending uh, eight weeks on this. And as we've done every week, how many of you guys want to be emotionally healthy? Yeah, leave it up, maybe wave it, wave it at everybody, yeah, maybe old school raise the roof a little bit, there we go, yeah, there we go, but that's what we, that's what we want, right, we, we want to be uh, emotionally uh, healthy individuals uh, for so many reasons, but in particular, um, obviously it directly uh, correlates with uh, every relationship that we have, whether that's with how we view ourselves. Uh, um, how we view other people, and then ultimately, of course, how we view God, and so it becomes so critical, and so we've, uh, here's our feelings chart that we've kind of looked at each week um, from the book, uh, Voice of voice by Chip Dodd, um, and so we've done resentment, we've done apathy, I'm mean, sorry, we've done hurt, we've done loneliness, we've done sadness, today, we're doing this sucker, right there, <laughs> anger, and so... Um, we're gonna take a look at that. I'm here today, and, and some of you guys are really excited. Some of you guys who maybe uh, run a little hot, you're like, "Finally, this is my day," and uh, or some you're like with someone, you're like, "Finally, this is your day." And so, um, but we're gonna talk about um, anger today. Um, but I was thinking about anger. I saw this clip uh, from uh, the Dallas Cowboys game at the end of the Dallas Cowboys game. I just thought, you know, this is appropriate. So, let's take a look at maybe how we think about anger in this way. So maybe that's how we think about anger. All the Commander fans are like, yeah, yeah, we get it. And so, um, but but yeah, so we think about anger in in an interesting way. And I think we have like kind of one concept uh, around anger typically. Um, But my hope is today that... uh, it deepens our understanding of what that emotion is and what's driving it. Um, but it also um, allows us to see how God wants to speak into it and why it's so important and why it's such a pivotal emotion that uh, we all have. And so um, here's the thing about anger. Uh, it's, it's always pointing to, to something else. So if you think about this, um, you guys know this, right? It's the, it's the light you ignore in your car. The... <laughs> I want you to think about this in, in terms of anger. Uh, anger is telling you something else is going on. The anger you feel, the anger that, the, that might come out of you that, or maybe that you're stuffing away, something else is, is going on inside of you. It, it's an indicator that you gotta get some things in check. It's, it's critical, so many things. Anger is such an interesting emotion because it, it's impacted by so many things in our lives. You know, we just sang about fear and guilt and shame, like saying goodbye to those things, but those things also impact our anger. And, uh, and you can see so many different things uh, around this. And so this, this emotion of anger, this core emotion of anger is actually really uh, pivotal in terms of how we begin to understand. It should immediately say, hey, there's something else going on inside of us when anger starts to uh, rise up. And so when you look at anger, again, I'm sorry, I've got it here, uh, we, we see this, that, there's the, the, the impairment to anger, is depression and pride. All right, and you might think like those, those, those two things don't go together, and we're going to talk about why they're different and how they kind of play into this. But the impairment of, of anger, unprocessed anger, is depression and pride. Uh, the gift of anger, yes, there is a gift, uh, is passion this passion. And so uh, in the book, Chip uh, writes it this way. He says, in truth, anger is possibly the most important feeling we experience as emotional and spiritual beings because it is the first step to authentic living. It shows our hunger and yearning for life. And so even this element of anger, uh, on the front end, we always think of it negatively, um, but there is a positive element to it, that there's a driving passion that could be there. That gift is a wonderful, wonderful thing that if we process our anger correctly, man, it brings life to who we are, but unprocessed anger, which we've all probably been, uh, have received, or have actually done to someone else, uh, is actually incredibly detrimental. And so when we think about unprocessed anger, I want to go through a a few things here. Unprocessed anger leads to a lack of discernment, a lack of discernment. Uh, How many guys have, have raged or flown off the handle a little bit, right? You didn't sit there at that moment in time you got done and thought to yourself, man, that was super wise, like the other person on the other end wasn't sitting there being like, thank you so much for imparting your wisdom to me like in that moment. And so we, we understand that right, on the, right off the cusp of this, it's like, man, unprocessed anger, we lack discernment. I love Proverbs 14, 29. It says that slowness to anger makes for deep understanding. A quick-tempered person, I love this phrase, stockpiles <laughs> stupidity. <laughs> and you know, are there some people that run a little hotter than others? Yeah. Like, that's a thing. Like, that can happen, okay? Uh, but man, you, you got to pause. All of us have to pause and understand that this quick-tempered element that's there um, really is, is, is causing us to be foolish, It's causing us to ruin relationships. It's causing us to lack wisdom. It's causing us, I I prefer this translation of the verse because it's just easy to remember that I'm stockpiling stupidity. And so it's important to understand that. And so a lot of times you might have grown up with a parent that had unprocessed anger and you realize that the way that they treated, the way that they yelled, the way that they did something, whatever that something was, the way that they disciplined, whatever, uh, there was unprocessed anger that was going on and, and, and they were actually, there was like stockpiling stupidity on how they parented. And then that actually brought up some things in you and nurtured some things in you that maybe you're actually having to suffer from right now or process right now. Like, can that happen? Yeah, that can happen maybe it's something that developed in you later on in life and it wasn't because of your parents it was because of something that you went through and you had unprocessed anger and and man and in the midst of this you became quick tempered and you started snapping on people and you started realizing man I'm stockpiling stupidity in everything that I'm doing and I see it in my decisions and I see it in all of my relationships and this unprocessed anger results in foolishness and hurts everything around us you know one of the other quotes in there, he says uh, when he talks about like rage and this kind of quick-tempered element. Chip says it this way: he says rage denies our humanity with a willful fury against vulnerability. That this rage that comes out of us, this this rage that we participate in, this this rage that comes out in unprocessed anger, that leads to essentially stupidity, is is really what he's saying. It's like it's caused because we aren't vulnerable people. And the lack of vulnerability means that we're, we're hiding something. And listen, God will never transform anything that we keep hidden. So we, it's not gonna, if you keep something hidden, it's like you're, you're keeping it hidden. God just doesn't go in on the back end and be like, hey, let me take care of this really easily so you don't have to deal with it. It's no, we, we have to be honest and we have to be vulnerable about the reality of what's going on inside of us. And this lack of vulnerability is really problematic that actually inhibits us from, from truly engaging the world around us and people around us. It, it stops us from transforming um, it, uh, to actually receiving what the Spirit of God has for us and be able to transform. A lot of times this can come out, uh, you, you know, and you see in little kids, like when they're little, like, you know, toddlers, and they throw temper tantrums. Have you ever seen this? You know, and you, maybe you've experienced this. And, uh, you know, you look at them. You can't go to, like, a two-year-old and be like, I need you to be a little vulnerable, buddy. Like what's really good? You could try, but they can't like fully like get there and communicate it. And that lack of vulnerability is one of the th- things that causes like they have so much emotion and everything. But here's what's interesting: I feel like a teenager in this room right now. You have the ability to articulate your emotions, and, and the lack of vulnerability will move you into kind of this state of of temper tantrums. Uh, and, and here's what's crazy: like in adults, we see this. Like I've been with adults who still eye roll. And you might be thinking, like, well, that's not. It's like, no, I mean, that's an element. That's an element of, of, like, you're not processing emotion in the right way. And so we can see this even in adults. Like, temper tantrums can just look differently as an adult. You're not going to lay on the ground and, you know, stomp your feet and, like, all this other stuff and target. But, like, you're, you, you have, like, another way that maybe you rage. Another way that... Uh, you're interacting and throwing a temper tantrum, but what, what is that? that there's something inside of you you need to be more vulnerable about so that you can start to process what that rage is. And so uh, rage is interesting because when you think about uh, even scientifically, rage happens at, in the same places as our like fight or flight or freeze you know, moment of our brains. and, and what they 've done is they 've studied brain patterns, and when we 're in a state of rage, all right so unprocessed rage. We have the same brain brain patterns as a gorilla. So next time you like start raging like that, you are being received like an animal, because that's that's what you're doing. You're just like a gorilla. Like, you know what I mean? Like I don't know if they even talk that way, but like they you know like they're just. But that's what it is. Like that's how you are being received by people, in the rage, and and that's that's what your brain is actually doing. And rage is actually interesting because it's just basically screaming, I'm not getting what I want. That's what rage is doing. And rage is, is uh, interesting too because what rage will do is it makes you operate in extremes and in like more of like a black, everything's black and white. And so you begin to see like this is what starts to happen inside of us. Rage happens when we won't admit to what emotion we're actually feeling. So the moments when you really raged, it wasn't that you were feeling um, there was something else going on inside of you that is like making you rage. But you won't know what that is until you're actually going to have the time to take the time to be vulnerable and understand your emotions. Rage happens because we see we can't control something. And so then we lose our self-control. And so it's interesting, you know, self-control is one of the fruit of the spirit that I think always gets lost we can name a lot of the other ones, but so often, you know, like yeah, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, goodness, and like, and we always forget self-control. Or and faith—I forgot faithfulness, but like we forget like self-control. It's like self-control is actually one of the fruit of the spirit. And so when you're losing your self-control, guess what? You're not acting like who? Jesus. And if you're not acting like Jesus, I know y'all hate it when I do this. If you are acting like Jesus, there's only another option. You're not acting like nothing. We're acting like what promotes evil. That's fun, right? To kind of process it in that way. But that is what happens when we begin to lose our control. Uh, Here's what happens when you're in rage. In rage, you feel justified creating a traumatic experience for somebody else. With with rage what it shows you is you're actually really disconnected from what's going on inside of you. That's rage. So unprocessed anger leads to a lack of discernment and stockpiles stupidity. Uh, the second thing, unprocessed anger separates us from feeling alive, from feeling alive. Um, this is where kind of the impairment of depression uh, comes in. And so I just want to talk about this for a minute. I, I personally have not like had clinical depression. Um, I've talked to a ton of counselors, um, researched a ton. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people and sat with a lot of people uh, around it. And uh, even Matt, our uh, care pastor we, we talk a lot about um uh, depression and stuff too because he's like um fought through a lot of it and battles it and everything and, and so he's helped open my eyes around some of the, the elements of it and so i ask for grace around this and in, in, in only saying this because this is not something i've personally dealt with on that kind of level but there is when you start thinking about depression um depression is not a core emotion Depression actually blocks us from engaging the core emotion that's actually, that we should be engaging. And so it paralyzes us. It, it, it makes us feel like we're in quicksand or uh, it makes us feel like we're stuck or we're in some kind of, of loop. And we begin to see that with, within this, uh, the way that actually Chip talks about in the book, is, he says that depression is like you're, you're, you're depressing like, things away from you that are actually healthy. Like in the, and you keep pressing all the things that actually make you feel alive and feel connected, like like people in community and eating well and exercising and praying and meditating it 's like you press all those things away that eventually forms into like depression, but there 's something else that 's going on inside of us there 's something else that we have to engage there 's something else that 's critical for us to begin to, to understand. And Matt actually was telling me about an analogy he often uses that. Like in this state, it's like you're, you're, you watch like kids run down a hill, you know, and you go down like really fast, right? But sometimes if the hill's too steep, your legs just can't keep up, you know? And so he uses that analogy of like, man, you, you're good at the top and you're still going. in at the beginning, all of a sudden it just feels like it like spins out of control. And, and it's like but the healthier that we get, the longer we can run and the faster we can run. And so we begin to see that, well, what is that? It's, it's getting in touch with actually the core emotions that are actually causing it. And discovering something different. And in particular, a lot of times we're angry about something else. And we're not actually coming to grips with something that we're actually really angry about. Like Maybe we're actually really angry about like loneliness. And that's in, in, so we're not, we're not processing things the right way. And then all of a sudden it can lead us to a depressive state. Uh, I was reading uh, in First Kings this week uh, around Elijah. And he actually, we see this in scripture, an element of a depressed state in one of the prophets of God. <coughs> he says this. So he comes to a broom bush and sat down on a tree, and here's Elijah speaking. He's like, I've had enough. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And he got into this state. What's interesting is what we see in Elijah is what he was really angry at was his loneliness in the midst of the mission that he was on. What he was really struggling with was the fact that people were not uh, listening to, to God uh, and so there was an element where as he's in, engaged and this, he was deeply hurt by the people that should have been listening to him, were not. And, and then all of a sudden his world got flipped upside down and it was kind of causing him to spin and he, and he lands in this, this place of unprocessed emotion even though he's trying to do the work of God. This unprocessed emotion that was there led him into a depressed state and he didn't feel alive, actually he didn't want to be alive. And so we begin to see, even in our current culture, you look at the world around us, we're the most medicated we've ever been. And it's not even close. And We're the loneliest we've ever been. And in the midst of all of this stuff, it's not working. Well, why is that? Because we're not in touch with what's really going on inside of us, with our emotion, what's really deep inside of us. And coming into to grips with those realities that will kind of put us into the place that we need to be. And the other part of this about not feeling alive is pride. Um, how many guys have ever struggled with pride? Yeah. yeah. So, some of you that didn't raise your hand, you do. Um, <laughs> your lack of humility there. Um, but anyway, uh, we all struggle with pride in some capacity. And here's what pride does, which is like really interesting. Pride will simply just say this, hey, I can do this on my own. Or pride will say it's not my fault. Pride will say, you know, blame everybody else. Pride will will really like separate us from the truth of, of, of what matters. It will separate us from, from for sure, separate us from God, but it separates us from people. It separates from the things that actually will make us healthy. Pride is so incredibly uh, destructive. I love this passage in Matthew 5 because Jesus is talking to, to these people who he's describing what it means to follow him. And what's interesting is he digs into this heart part of this, the, the core of your being. And then it's pride that can drive us away from an acknowledgement of how bad something might be. And so he says this, you have heard that our answers were well told, you must not murder, right? Which that sounds normal. He says, if you, commit, uh, if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, Jesus says this, if you are even what? Angry. Hmm. With someone you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Seems like Jesus is saying we need to process our anger. Well, why is that? Because your pride will tell you that, you know, I would never. That's well, not my fault. Your pride will do something that, that separates. But what Jesus is saying is that there's something in, inside of us then when our pride builds up and it's like, oh, my anger will never do this. I would never murder someone, but guess what you would do, and you have done, and we all have done, is we've killed the image of God in other people. Where did that start? In our hearts. See, when we don't see people the way God sees people, it's prideful. When we don't see people the way God sees people, um, there's something in our hearts that isn't right. We are killing the image of God in someone else. We murder it. It stems from something that's happening at the core of our being. And when pride starts seeping in, we can be religiously prideful. And you might be thinking like, yeah, that's why I'm so passionate about other people's sin, right? And uh, (laughs) we get so passionate about other people's sin because we lack the humility to come to grips with our own, right? Like, that's what actually happens. But the pride that builds up inside of us becomes so ju- judgmental and condescending of uh, the world around us. Uh, we even see like, you know, even culturally, you know, the way pride kind of rises up and uh, through anger, like even like politically, right? Uh, like anger is like the currency that happens. And pride is the currency that happens within our political system. It's fascinating to me, and we'll talk more about this in the fall, dun, dun, dun. Um, around politics, but... Someone's platform doesn't matter if they're stockpiling uh, stupidity through their pride and anger. So I don't know why we as Christians would ever support anyone that is so prideful and so angry in any kind of way. Any man or woman. I don't know why we would ever vote for them. Because they're just stockpiling stupidity. And their their platform doesn't actually matter. Because they're going to do whatever they want to do. And so we begin to see, like, even the way that we engage this idea of anger and pride, like, and even culturally, it deeply matters as those who say they follow Jesus. Here's the third thing with unprocessed anger leaves us without hope. That's why I love that song, Fear is Not My Future. We'll talk about fear next week. But even this fear is not my future, it's, you know, we think about Elijah. He was in a state of fear. He was in a state, he lost hope. And when people end up losing hope, they double down on misery, they double down on pride, they double down on all the things that actually lead them into a further unhealthy state. But when hope starts to rise up inside of us, something begins to change. I love uh, this guy named David in the Bible. Um, some of you guys might know his story, and uh, maybe have heard the story about David and Goliath, but part of his story, he, he, was, uh, he wrote several of the Psalms that we have in our Bible, and his ability, now he was like a dumpster fire in a lot of ways, but his ability to process emotion was incredible. Like you read it in the Psalms, like his ability to engage what was going on inside him was like so good. And in Psalm, uh, in Psalm 23, I, I love this, one of the most famous Psalms, but, and we'll sing about this at the end, but I, I love this part of the Psalm because He's had so much come at him, and he, he's had moments of anger that he's, he's expressed, and people are coming after him, all this stuff. But he says this, and you can tell he's like, he's like processing his anger. He's processing the things that he's going through. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, meaning like you're, you're providing in the presence of my enemies, like you're, you're providing for me. You anoint my head with oil, meaning like the presence of God is on me and my cup overflows. I might feel empty, but here's what, when I can process things correctly, I can see like, oh, I overflow through the way that God provides. He says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So his perspective, so he went from, so he could have been an unprocessed, like, anger that was happening inside him because of what he was seeing, but as he's processing it, there's this passion that's starting to develop inside of him. This passion to see the world the way God sees the world, to see the situations the way God sees it. And So he could say things like, "Man, I'm going to experience your goodness and mercy all the days of my life." You're like, "Well, hold on, Dave. like David, they're they're coming to kill you." He's like, "You know what though? I can like I can see that someday I would dwell in the house of the Lord forever." It doesn't mean he's ignoring anything. He's just seeing it the way God wants to see it and processing it and, and really working through all of it. And you know, in the song we sing is Shall Not Want, but like it's like, I'm don't, I don't, I'm not lacking because I, I, I know that God is with me in this and allows me to per- process things the right way. So then what does this look like? So then if the, the unprocessed is depression and pride, then, then the processed anger is passion. It's passion. And so... I want to talk about like what godly anger is. and So there's an element to how we get to this gifting, all right? So you might be saying like God gets angry and, and yeah, I mean, it actually says that he does get angry. In Exodus chapter 34, it says this, that the Lord is compassionate and a gracious God, slow to what? Abounding in love and faithfulness. And it's funny, sometimes people would be like, oh, I, I can't believe God gets mad. I'm like, why would you not want God to get mad? Do you want him to passively sit by and just let stuff happen? Like, Would you just not want him not to be involved and just separate and be like, all right, humans. Like, that doesn't work. We know that. So for God to get angry at certain things actually is incredibly important. I mean, we saw that God got angry at sin. And so he sees like, I'm going to take care of this. So it's incredibly important that God gets angry. But it says that he's slow to anger. The word there um, means long-nosed or, <clears throat> or double-nosed. And this idea of being slow to anger. Um, you know how you get those, and the reason why I talk about the nose piece, you know how like you go <sighs> when you're mad? And then so this, it's this idea of like, oh, if it's like a really long nose and double like it, it takes just a long time. And so this reality of what it means to be slow to anger that uh, there's this piece of this, that godly anger has a passion for patience. And they seem like those things are opposite, right? Because I like, know a godly anger has a passion for patience. To begin to see uh, if you've been around people who do this really well, um, you know, they have like a really long runway until maybe you experience their anger. You know, but then when you do, you're like, oh, my bad. You know what I mean? Because you're like, they did such a great job of like being patient, being kind, being gracious and trying to work through. But then when you experience maybe just a little heaviness in their words or they come at it and you see them kind of like have a little more energy, you're like, oh yeah, that is my bad. I see it. And and you appreciate it though because you see that there's something that's good behind it. That it wasn't just reactionary. It wasn't just out of fury and rage that there was something that was actually meaningful uh, behind all of it. The patience means uh, for us that anger rarely comes. Like that kind of, it doesn't, you don't feel it like welling up inside of you. You see like you have a passion for things, but this idea like anger doesn't come like in the way that you think it does very often. But there's, I'm so patient with people. Um, you think about God's patience. Have any of y'all ever like thought why God hasn't wiped us out again? <laughs> you look at the world around you, and you're like, "I, if I were God, I'd be like, you know what? We're getting a do-over, like, again." But here's why He's so patient and loving and kind. Here's here's why, He sees the beauty and the possibility of what's inside of us. So He's slow to anger. Does there come a point sometimes where he engages? Yeah. You know, like, there's a, there's a story in the Old Testament that talks about the Canaanites, and he responds to the Canaanites. And, and he, and Canaanites suffer a lot because of their, what they had, how they were living and everything. And, and you think, well, like, how could God, like, do that to people? And it's like, he actually waited 400 years before he acted. And he was like, generation after generation after generation. He's like, I'm giving you guys everything. I'm giving you guys everything, but I can't stand that you're hurting people anymore. And I've got to step in. And so we see that, man, that's patience that builds. It's like he, God sees the possibilities. He sees the beauty. And he has the patience to begin to engage it. You might be thinking like, yeah, but Jesus flipped tables, Wags. It's like it was one story, maybe two, depending on who you read. But and this story is so nuanced. But really, what was Jesus really mad about? Jesus was mad because of religious hypocrisy, oppression of the poor and marginalized, and acting like fools that blocked people from experiencing him. And so yeah, he flipped a table. But guess what else he did soon after that? He went up to a, on a cross and died for those same people. So there's something to the way that he engages. Here's a, Something I want you to think about with anger: our anger should never lead to an inaccurate portrayal of who Jesus is. Should never lead to an inaccurate portrayal of who Jesus is. His love, his grace, his kindness, his goodness—all those things. Second thing that God's anger does has a passion for what is just. It has a passion for what is just. Matthew 5, this is Jesus talking, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? Yeah. So to not have this hunger and thirst for things that are just means that you'll live a life that isn't quite full. You'll let things slide, you'll have a heart for comfort rather than a heart for justice. And then you'll never fully experience life. You'll never fully be engaged the way God wants us to be. In Proverbs, it also says this. says In one three, it says, To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So he's like, you can bring, like you, can, you can come to church and, and, and bring all you want. You can go to this temple and, and bring your sacrifices to me. But actually, what I really care about is you doing the right thing and the things that are just. And having a heart for justice. And, and godly anger has a heart that's for justice. You see this in people like Mother Teresa or you know, Martin Luther King Jr., like we, saw, or even like someone like Bono, you know, right now, or William Wilberforce, whatever. Like you got all these people that have this huge heart for justice. Well, that connects to the reality of who Jesus is, who God desires us to be. If we don't have a heart for justice, then we don't have the same kind of heart. That God desires. What ends up happening a lot of times is uh, we might have, uh, I remember when we were, went down to the protests here in Richmond, um, there's a difference between people who were there that had a passion for justice versus people that were just raging. When you rage, it's just everything is just like, oh, it's just black and white and work on extremes. And it's like, no, when people have passion for justice, there was, there was nuance, there was engagement, there was this desire to bring people together. You see, when we just operate out of rage within the context of injustice, it means we haven't fully processed the hurt that we feel. And so we respond accordingly. But when we really have a heart for justice, we, we want to see things happen. And we want to talk about um, what it looks like. We want to we engage uh, with one another in such a deep and profound way. Even what we just saw, you know, with the latest police shootings down in Memphis. And you see... What does a heart for justice look like? It isn't just consequence, though that's part. But there is like an element that we start seeing like, man, I, there's a lot of stuff broken, y'all. Like broken, and diversity training won't fix it. It's actually, that's becoming more and more proven that like diversity training doesn't actually move the needle as much as we think that it does. It, it, it really is, what, what, what's the problem? There's a heart thing going on that is shaped within the context of the culture. And that's what Jesus was talking about. You gotta get down to the, the heart of people. Do, do laws matter? Yes. Policies matter? Yes. Like, consequences for things matter? Yes, it, it, it matters. But I'm talking about, if we wanna see, like, change, you have to dig into the heart of people. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, do whatever you want. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should hunger and thirst for righteousness in the heart of people. It should drive everything that we are. And so when we see injustice in this world, we should step forward. We should say something. We should be involved. We should figure out how do we become part of a solution rather than continuing to lay back and like, ah, it's really complicated. It's like, no, that's not a heart for justice. That's a heart for comfort. That's actually incredibly prideful. See, but we have a heart for justice to want to engage and to learn and to see, like, what in my heart actually continues injustice, Or what in my heart needs to be shifted and changed? Or how can I learn to be a part of something that ends up being healthy and engages the way God wants us to? And here's the last thing. Godly anger has a passion for the fullness of life. We become vulnerable, we crave intimacy, we have courage, uh, we have curiosity. There's a deep hunger in, inside of us for all of these things. There's a pa- the passion that builds in us is, it sounds different. I wrote a few things down. I said, you know, you might, be, might, you might start saying things like this. I'm angry at sadness because I feel for what I lost, but I'm passionate to experiencing healing and hope again. I'm angry at the fear I have of another relationship failing, but I will be passionate about doing the right things to make sure it won't happen again. I'm angry at the choices I've made from the hurt, but I'm passionate about wise counsel and learning what I might be missing. I'm angry at the cause of my depression, but I'm passionate about um, every tool accessible to me to make me whole. I'm angry at the shame I feel from my past, but I'm passionate about experiencing the grace of God. I'm angry at the injustices, injustices I see, but I'm passionate about challenging with grace and bringing people together. See, when we process anger, it's, this is like a fullness of life. We can experience all that God has and here's what starts to change. Our hope does. Our relationships radically start changing. Our view of the world around us starts changing. We start being able to see the beauty that God sees rather than just always raging against it. Our hearts begin to shift and change. So I want us all to just pause here for a minute. We're going to sing one more song together as the band comes up. You can bow your heads. I just want you to maybe come to grips with some of the things that um, you're realizing are unprocessed anger. Maybe you're lacking patience or maybe you've given in to depression being a core emotion for you. Maybe you've neglected to see where pride has been rising up inside of you. Maybe you start letting negativity and misery write a narrative. God, this morning, I am um, just before we sing this last song of experiencing your goodness and mercy and proclaiming that we shall not want. God, I pray that we would pause and reflect on what you're speaking to our hearts right now. Do I have a passion? For what you want me to be do I have a passion for the life you desire for me or am I living in a whole other way will you stand and sing this last song